Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in.net. I'm Sean Clubber, your host, and with me today are the co hosts, Wailu. Hey, Sean. I don't. Hey, I'm pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good today. Got That's my great. second COVID shot. So, yeah. Nice. I'm happy. Yeah. Nice. All right. <laughs> another co host, nice Caleb Wells. Hey, y'all. Thank goodness yeah. it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> or Saturday. Depending where you're at, right? Depending on where you're at, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think for our, for our guest, it's midnight, so mm. somewhere in the world. So he gets to pick. <laughs> he gets to pick what day he's on right now. So there let's welcome Muhammad Aziz. Welcome, uh, Muhammad. Hello, Sean. Thank you very much for for inviting me. It's great to be here. I am Muhammad Aziz. I'm a software developer from Kurdistan. I started out as a desktop developer. But nowadays, I mostly do backend development. Right now, I work in the kind of information technology, Kurdistan government. We are trying to build awesome digital services for our people and make the experience of dealing with the government more, ple- more pleasant. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watch the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. That's great. We all want want to make awesome stuff, don't we? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so you work as uh, a public servant for the Iraq, the Iraq or Iraq, Iraq government, is it? So Kurdistan is a is a is a federal region. Kurdistan. Iraq. So I am, yeah, I'm working for the Kurdistan regional government. Ah, oh. I've always wondered, like, when people do code and that you know, and they're not speaking English, do they code in like a different language? Like, are all your variables in in English, or are they um in you know another language? Yeah. So. So when people start out, they do write variable names in Kurdish or Arabic. But as they gain more experience, they usually just write in English because it's 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 much more clear clearer and mm. um, everyone knows what what everything means. Yeah. Uh, so there could be a translation error between Arabic and English. And since C-sharp is written in English and a chunk of it's going to be that way anyway, it's gotcha. That makes sense. All right. See, we're, we're yeah. forcing English on the rest of the world. <laughs> and most of the examples and things like that that you found, find on the web are probably going to be English too. So to understand the examples and yeah. things like that, you kind of have to learn English. So Yeah, exactly. So sorry about that. Um, learning programming <laughs> without knowing English. <laughs> no, it's actually okay because learning English is kind of necessity these days. Like, even if you don't do programming, um, you have to know English. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, right? Those of us who know English, I couldn't speak another language if my life depended on it. Another, like, spoken language. 
Uh, it's probably one of the hardest things to do in life, right? To learn another yep. language. So. Well, suppose that, hey, I English, is, English is one of the harder hard. ones to learn, really, because of all of our little idiosyncrasies yeah. of, you know, there, there, and there, and... All of the accents. Re- sometimes I don't understand what you guys are talking about, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah uh, the pronunciation, the spelling uh, don't make sense. <laughs> and we do have a lot of accents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. You know, someone from Boston, I can't understand them. <laughs> and I speak English. So anyway. Anyway, so our topic today, CICD pipelines. What's that? So um, I've, I've heard of some cool CICD stuff. CICD pipelines. <laughs> Is that, t- does that oil related or not? it's not so CICD is towards continuous integration and continuous delivery or continuous deployment so continuous integration means you run your builds and tests on every commit but you do not necessarily deploy them and uh, continuous integration just means that your main branch is ready to be deployed or shipped all the time but that also doesn't mean that you deploy them on every commit. There might still be a manual deployment trigger. And from what I have seen, many, many teams do that. Like they don't deploy to production on every single commit because that's that's simply too dangerous. Yeah. But mm-hmm. knowing that you can deploy master to production all the time, it, it really helps a lot. So it's well, right, not, it, it it's simplifies not... things. Yeah, because you don't have to waterfall. remember all the steps. It does, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely not waterfall anymore. Exactly. It helps you to uh, deploy more frequently, which makes your changes smaller, which makes your fires smaller. Because fires still happen. There might still be trouble. There might still be mistakes. But because the change sets are smaller, there's simply less or fewer things to worry about. And Mohammed, and I think we're... Well, I was going to say, where in your software development Lexoc cycle or your your flow does CI/CD fit? Do you have developers do tasks, write the code, QA, bug test it, and then it goes back and forth there? You have unit test, and then it goes to CI/CD. So CI/CD is kind of the whole life cycle from development to testing to uh, building to deployment, and then to monitoring. It, the whole life cycle is CI/CD. So, would you um, you reckon you said that CI is about doing all that unit testing on every commit? Would you do it on every commit, or would you do it on every push? You reckon? Because I'm one of those people that kind of just commit so, everything. So, yeah, I I guess it depends on the on the tool. Some tools they only do they only trigger the the the, the build and the tests on every push. So, if you push five commits at once only the last commit gets the, the builds. And that's actually more efficient. That's what GitHub does, I think. It only it only builds the, the latest commit of a push. I think it also depends. Some people like to squash their commits before they, they push, and then they don't get like um, you know, 20 lines of 20 commits for just this one feature or whatever. So. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I'm that developer who you look at Caleb and he's like, Caleb, you haven't committed in two or three days. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah. Is that you haven't fallen into that you pushed? Either. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. You're back to the TFS usually, days, right? My commits are usually very, very small, like uh, because when they be, when they get bigger, I lose work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of co- companies just, have a, a policy where you push every 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 evening before you leave, so mm-hmm. that if something mm-hmm. does happen overnight or whatever, and then whatever your changes are have been pushed up and, and saved. So that's a common policy, I think. To be yeah, honest, I think a lot of um, lo- no, sorry. Sorry, go ahead, please. Oh, okay. I was I was just gonna say that a lot of .NET developers, because they're used to TFS, they'll they'll do the whole um they'll wait until the feature is complete before they they push it in because that's what it used to be like, right? Um and it's only been yeah. Git that has like a decentralized repo that has allowed you to actually um, commit regularly. Yeah, exactly. it's a bad um, habit of mine. It is. <laughs> and, and fall, I, is that? Even locally, well, even yeah. locally it's it's much more safe to commit often mm. because sometimes you want to go back to a previous commit because you, you find out that your current method doesn't work actually. So yeah, that's why I generally prefer smaller commits and more frequent commits. And, and this will probably show my age. And again, it's a bad habit, but for me, I will actually take a chunk of code and comment it out and copy it and work on the copied version. And if it did, and then I can, yeah. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. definitely old school that way. <laughs> That's yeah. what branching is for, Caleb. Well, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily need branching, right? <laughs> so yeah. So I, I typically on the project I'm at, we do all of our, our changes during the day. And then I'll push my branch. And the branch that I'm working on is just my branch for my story that I'm working on. And I push it up and then it's saved at the night. And if anybody wants to look at what I'm working on, then they can pull it down and check it out. But then I'll make all the changes. And once the feature's done, then I'll do a PR into the main and development branch for all those changes and squash that in. So that's kind of my continuous mm-hmm. development type of process. I think that's fairly standard. I think that's the feature branch um, pattern, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good. And it works very, very nicely. The teams that I have worked on, to be fair, they were small. Most of the teams I've worked on were small, less than uh, 10 people. But uh, this feature branch low works very, very nicely. Because I have seen some people that have developed branches and they have. Or, or they have a branch per person, which is kind of weird. <laughs> so each person gets their own branch and they can push to that. So I think the feature branch is also called, called GitHub Flow. And I, I like it a lot. I think that people have their own branch. Like there's a, there's a limit of how many branches that the organization can have or something. <laughs> yeah. The only problem I've really had with that kind of a structure is that if you've got features that are dependent upon other features and you're all trying to work and get things mm. so that they're going to, you know, integrate together once you put things back together. Yeah, that's that's tough. Any yes, solutions for that, Mohammed? True. To be honest, no. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to plan out the work so that uh, the, the work that depends on gets completed first and then there, there will always be some merge conflicts and stuff like that. But there, I don't think they are easy answers to that and one thing that gets you in trouble with that flow is uh, database migrations if you use code first if empty framework code first migrations 
because everyone has to work on the same kind of migrations. So you cannot change add to the migrations in a feature branch while others have changed it. So yeah, there are some problems with it, but overall it, it works nicely when uh, there, there are not these kind of requirements. So right. I was going to ask, Muhammad, we, we can dig more into CICD, but, but what got you into it in the first place? using the the methodology right i so as i said i started out actually as a desktop developer and so cicd is actually not very very popular in desktop development mostly people do it for web development but i kind of got bored of <laughs> doing all the deployment stuff manually so we're working with a uwp app and there were a few incidents where there were some there were some like some bugs that were deployed to production and we had to we had to deploy deploy another version and doing it manually under these stressful conditions is it's it's hard and it's slow and it's it, it it you can do all kinds of mistakes and I actually, I think most developers like automating stuff, like our entire lives is automating things. So I said, why should I do this manually? And uh, to be honest, nowadays, it's very easy to get into CICD and build pipelines. I mean, you can build a pipeline in a day that can reduce tens of minutes every day for the team. So... It, it totally pays off in the long long term. And it's actually fun, like seeing the pipeline working every time and, and seeing that the team is actually more productive and is less scared of deployments. It's very fun. Yeah, I think it's just putting that initial work in, in like iteration zero to set all that up you know, really increases the productivity of the team and also the quality of the code, I think. Yeah, exactly. So what, what tools are you, you guys using to set up your either DevOps, you know, GitHub? GitHub or? So previously, I was working at private companies. There, I usually use Azure DevOps because Microsoft Shops and uh, Azure DevOps is the default. It's kind of the, mm -hmm. the default option, especially because many of them have come from a TFS background. By the way, I don't like TFS. <laughs> so in every team that I get into, and they, if they use TFS, I make sure that they change to Git. <laughs> That's my like my first objective. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. The same thing happened in my last job. We came in and they were using TFS and we moved into Git. And they're like, why? And we're like, because <laughs> we said so. <laughs> yeah. So... But uh, now in, I'm working for the government and now we are using Jenkins. So Jenkins is open source, it's free. Uh, we have private Jenkins server, so that uh, that's what we use. But to be honest, I prefer, if I have the choice, I prefer Azure DevOps. Uh, it's much nicer to work with and it has a lot of stuff that's just easier for the development, so yeah. But I have also used GitHub Actions for like my personal projects because they are, the source code is already on GitHub. So that's what I use for uh, mm. th those projects. So DevOps integrates pretty well with 
GitHub like iPhone. So I think yeah. right yeah. Microsoft does GitHub the best Actions to is make also the pretty whole nice flow, right? Mm. Uh, well, yeah, they said I own both companies now. So right. Yeah, so. But Muhammad, I have I've tinkered with DevOps, but never actually used it in a production environment. But uh, like you, I have used GitHub Actions, and I find that it may not be as robust, but then again, it doesn't necessarily need to be, especially for personal projects. But I found it really mm-hmm. easy to set up. I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward. There's very little you have to do to get it up and running and have it, you know, you know, doing the whole deployment process for you. So Yeah, exactly. And there are templates, there are a lot of tasks that really make the job much, much easier. So you don't have to know a lot about uh, system administration or FTP or stuff like that. There are tasks that just do everything for you. You just have to fill in a a couple of stuff. So yeah, and they are much, much more secure. For for example, every team member doesn't have to know how to upload to some, uh, some server via SSH or FTP or whatever. Like you put the secrets in the tool and that's it. Nobody needs to know that. And when you have to rotate them, you change them in one place. So it's it also improves security a lot. I mean, it probably depends on where you put your source code. Because like, you can put your source code inside inside DevOps, right? I think where DevOps, I guess, shines and it's probably designed to shine is if you've got everything on Azure. Like um, if you've got your, your deployment on Azure and, and just literally everything. Um, and you're... You know, the whole point about Azure is you're supposed to deploy, you know, decoupled um, things. You might de- you might deploy like so many different like components there, and DevOps kind of is able to more easily integrate everything together. But yeah, I get your point about GitHub. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well. absolutely. I mean, the integration between Azure DevOps and Azure itself is it's absolutely amazing. Like. Mm tailor-made with each other. Uh, I mean, you can do, you can use Azure DevOps with other cloud providers as well. And I'm sure there are like tasks mm. in the marketplace, but the default like experience for Azure is just great. And it's, it's, it's very easy to use. But I also think the, the Azure DevOps has a special offer for op- open source projects that gives you more minutes. So I, I also see uh, some projects, some open source projects using Azure DevOps because of that. And Azure DevOps prof- uh, also provides you with hosted uh, Windows virtual machines. So if your build pipelines require that, then that, that's a great option. Mm. So something I, I've run into with with my work and the companies I work for, and, and I think it's more of a, a perspective thing, is we're perfectly comfortable writing a PowerShell script to automate building VMs, you know, for, uh, okay, so-and-so needs a VM. Okay, here we go. But we're, we're not as comfortable in diving into the whole DevOps or CI/CD pipeline because it feels like there's more overhead there. Do you agree with that? And how would you approach that coming into a company that has no CI/CD? So... I do not agree with that. And the reason is that a DevOps, DevOps pipeline is just a, a set of scripts running. I mean, yeah, you might be using ready-made templates or tasks, but underneath they are just either Node.js programs or Bash or PowerShell scripts. So uh, the experience is actually very, very similar. 
And you can actually just use PowerShell scripts, not use any tasks. And I, in one of the projects, I actually did that. And one of the key, key benefits to that is you can run the builds locally. You don't have to publish, to commit and push to Azure DevOps so that you can see if the build succeeds or not. You can just run PowerShell and build uh, the entire thing locally and then commit after you make sure that it actually works. Yeah, but I was I just going to ask. If you know PowerShell, yeah. if you know Bash, it's, it's, it's very easy. Please do try it out. And if you are in this kind of environment, just create a, a very simple pipeline for, a very, for the smallest app you can get a handle of. And then just show it off. I mean, you can't explain it. The magic is in. When you see it, it it's just pure magic. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask, um, do you need to be using the cloud to, to, in order to use CICD? Um, not at all. No. So you can, so if, if you are using one of, the, one of the providers like Azure DevOps or GitHub or something like that, then you are using the cloud essentially. For the CI/CD part, not the deployment part, you can still deploy to on-prem virtual machines via SSH, as long as they are uh, actually they don't even have to be reachable via via a public IP or something like that. Azure DevOps and Octopus Deploy they have published agents that you install on the VMs and they they pull instead of you pushing to them. So there are all kinds of options, and there's Jenkins which you can host on your own infrastructure so that the entire thing, or there's GitLab, which you can host on your own infrastructure and have the entire experience be on your infrastructure and not uh, use cloud at all. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So essentially, you just need, like, whether you're on cloud or on-premise, you just need something to run whatever exactly. like, CI/CD program exactly. that you're, you're using. Yeah. You mentioned Octopus. Well, yeah. Go ahead, but I'm curious if you could, because I'm not familiar with Octopus. Yeah, sure. And one more thing is that many of even the cloud providers, they let you register your own runner. So you have, for example, a virtual machine. You can use that virtual machine as a runner and you can use it as much as you want. For Because many of the cloud providers, they bill you on based on the minutes you, you, you use their machines. For example, there's, I think, 1,800 free minutes monthly for Azure DevOps or something like that. But if you need more or your tasks might be more demanding than their virtual machines allow, for example, building UWP apps is actually pretty slow on the Microsoft host virtual machines, but you can have your own virtual machine and use that as a runner. So about Octopus Deploy, to be honest, I have not used it in production, but I have tried out, tried out their demo and their trial and it's actually pretty nice they offer a lot more deployment options and it's much much more like flexible like you can run migration migration scripts as as part of your deployment pipeline you can change the environment variables on the as on the on the deployed 
environment and you can have all kinds of different environments for example qi production and have different steps for each environment and uh, from from what i've used the experience is very nice but up until now our use case hasn't been the best fit for that but i hope in the future i can actually use that because from what i used the experience is actually pretty nice that actually brings up another question when you mentioned migrations it made me think back to the days of of having to line up a web deployment with a database migration update and using we would use redgate to to move our schemas over and move data over make sure everything matched up how does that work within a CI/CD pipeline? Okay, so it depends on how you do it normally. I mean, even if you don't use a CI/CD pipeline, you have to do it in some way, right? For example, if you use empty framework code first and you turn on auto-migrate, then there's nothing to do. But if you don't do that, then you have to have some kind of migration app or tool that does that for you. And this app can actually be be part of your deployment pipeline, or some something like Octopus Deploy has special tools to help you with database migrations. Or if you want to do it manually, then you can you, you'll just do it manually. Nothing changes. So it it really depends on how you do it right now. I mean, it doesn't change that much. So one thing I was going to ask is. Like DevOps is generally something that's um, that you you set up, I guess, in the, in the team, and then um, you might just forget about it because it is so easy. But you obviously need to retain that knowledge. So, do you guys usually have everyone in the team become like DevOps experts, or do you guys have like one specialist? How do you how how would you normally manage it? Like one DevOps one person who just owns the DevOps pipeline and just makes any changes for the rest of the team, or everyone understands? Yeah. So, Mike. Experience has been that I am usually the DevOps guy. <laughs> You're the DevOps guy. <laughs> on the guy, team yeah. that I, I work in. And so, so you'll never lose your job, basically. <laughs> actually, it does make your job more secure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to put it that way. But, and uh, to expand on that, actually, the last thing that I worked on, I had set up the, 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 the deployment and the build pipelines and they worked great for one entire year without them even touching it. And then there was uh, some external dependency that broke. So they had to change a URL to just make sure that that dependency works again. I mean, they, mm. are, they, are, they, are, they can be very, very reliable. And, uh, and you're right. You, you might sometimes even forget how you implemented that. But... Mm. The, you can always go back to it and see how how you build it. I mean, it's just like code, especially because nowadays most providers let you define the pipelines in YAML. So it's literally just you write, write it down and uh, yeah. So yeah, you might actually forget about them. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your, what's your thoughts on YAML? You know, some people like it and some people don't. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if if it gets too big, if it gets too big, it, it, it kind of becomes problematic. But for simpler pipelines, it's it's great. I mean, the the, the, the alternatives is XML, which is a monstrosity. It's yeah. it's not fun to edit by hand. But I guess there are other options like Toml and stuff like that, which I have not used. 
So I, I don't know. I don't know. But well, I certainly prefer over um, the, the, the GUI-based okay. ones, like you dragging and dropping stuff. I certainly prefer YAML over that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, one of my coworkers has gotten really big on Terraform mm -hmm. for, for those kinds of tasks, which I have no knowledge of whatsoever. I'm just throwing it out there. When it comes to development, do you guys use containers like Docker, some of those lines? Um, I'm actually switching to a project where everything is Linux, Docker containers, and how that, that factors into the pipeline. Actually, no. Uh, so we, up until now, we use uh, virtual machines. But we do have plans to move to containers for some of our apps or some of our dependencies. But Docker is a command-based application. You can just integrate it into the pipeline very easily. The, so everything that you can do with a, a command line, a PowerShell script, you can put it in a in a in a in a deployment or build pipeline. So I even was able to build a pipeline for WPF. And create and that pipeline creates an installer for the app. So you just click on the on the pipeline, you run the pipeline, and then the output is an installer that the user can just use. So I I mean almost every scenario can can use it, and there are specialized providers for different scenarios. For example, Microsoft App Center is really great for mobile apps because their virtual machines have already have the dependencies for Android, the dependencies for iOS. So, and they have great templates to, that are ready that you can just use. So, yeah, I mean, depending on the scenario, you, can, you, you have multiple options that you can use. Are there lessons that you've learned of things, you know, not to do, you know, things that, that can, you can really get you in trouble with the way you set up your CI CD pipeline? I mean, don't don't code when you are tired or when you are sleeping. <laughs> uh, you have to be extra careful about deployment pipelines because this stuff gets your code into production. So I don't have specific lessons, but uh, just be careful about them and test them very well before using them in production. Well, actually, that's a really good question. How do you test? A DevOps pipeline or a CRD CD pipeline? So, yeah, so the testing part is not yet very, very comfortable because in most providers, you have to commit your changes and then run the pipeline again. So, but you can, as I said, you can only use PowerShell or Bash scripts and then you can run the scripts locally. I for GitHub Actions, actually a project, which I cannot remember the name right now, that lets you run the GitHub Actions locally using Docker, which is great because you don't have to have 50 commits that just mm -hmm. updates the build pipeline. And that usually that's what happens. I mean, every time I update the pipeline, there's 10, 15 commits after each other just trying to, okay, this time works, I swear. Mm. <laughs> and it doesn't. <laughs> so uh, having a tool that you can run the pipeline locally can help a lot. But uh, I think the testing can still be improved, and hopefully in the future, all providers provide tools and ways that you can run the pipeline locally entirely. Mm. Although, especially but in production, though, you'd, there'd be no way really to test. Like if you had a pipeline that essentially deployed your master branch into prod, you'd only be able to do that by 
deploying it into prod, I guess. Yeah, the only thing that you can do is having a staging environment that closely mm. um, mirrors closely the yeah. environment. Or maybe although, deployment slots. Yeah, you although that's slots. not always... Oh, yeah, deployment slots. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a good idea as well, yep. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't used it yet. It sounds pretty promising, the deployment slots. And I think my next project, I'll definitely want to use something like that. Because right. especially since I think Azure uses the same, I think, compute. It uses the same app service plan for, for the deployment slots. So, so what, haven't we, uh, what haven't we asked you about that uh, is really important to know about CICD? So CICD, one thing that Azure DevOps does really well is separating the build pipeline from the release pipeline. So the building part is explicitly different from the deployment part. Like you don't have to deploy on every commit or on every push, but it encourages you to build on every commit so that you make sure that you have not, not broken anything and the project yeah, actually Don't break builds. the build. And don't break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can, you, can, you can introduce all kinds of fun stuff in, into the deployment pipeline. For example... So one time in our desktop app, so there was the URL for the API. And so we had two, two environments that were staging and the, the, the production. And one of the team members forgot, they, he, he was debugging some stuff and he was using the staging environment API. And then he forgot to update it and pushed it. And then we released a build that was communicating to the staging API. So we uh, we fixed that, and then we introduced once a, a step in the in the deployment pipeline uh, that actually checked. Sorry, in the build pipeline that actually checked if we are communicating to the production API or not, and that actually saved the day twice because we made that, that same mistake twice after that. So you can do all kinds of fun stuff. You can introduce. More, uh, more guards into into the pipeline, and they are automated. So it's not done by humans who might get bored or who might just say, uh, "Let's not do no, let's not do that this time." It's not necessary. So yeah, it increases the reliability significantly. Anything else? Are we good, or should we move on to picks? I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, awesome. really here we come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mohammed. Thank you very much for having. Wow, me. That, that cleared up a lot to me. I mean, some of the stuff that I'm working on in my current projects, really understanding. You know, I don't really get involved into the pipelines past the, past the rewriting the code. So mm. now I have. But that's when you know the pipeline works, though, right? When you <laughs> when the every developer doesn't have to worry about it. You know, one click deployment. You know, and it just works. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All you need is one Mohammed who knows it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Muhammad in every team, just like Bill Gates said. <laughs> All right, so Muhammad is the one guy for every team. Yeah, just get in touch with him. He will fix it and set it up for you. Okay, Yep. so let's move on to picks. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. 
I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. I'll go first this week, I guess. And my pick is going to be the COVID vaccine. You know, I just got my <laughs> second shot a couple of days ago. Congrats. You know, Congrats. I'm, I'm, it's, it's relieving. You know, I still got a couple of weeks before I'm supposedly, you know, fully, uh, you know, up to is whatever level I'm going to have as far as uh, immunity and things like that. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into my sports, maybe actually going inside of a store every once in a while rather than just mobile order. So that's, uh, I definitely suggest everybody when you can get the vaccine. Did you have any side effects when you? The when you only had thing I had, only thing I had was a sore shoulder. Even the, the second shot, was the same as the first. My wife, so, she got at the same time. She had a little bit of a rash a couple days after the shot on her shoulder, and it was she was pretty tender in the shoulder. But that was that's definitely. And which one are you guys getting? Isn't there like a couple now? Huh? Yeah, the, we got the Pfizer, three. but there's yeah, there's but three available in the U.S. right now. There's Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson. Cool. Well, congratulations. How does it feel to have five G? <laughs> Yeah, it's your, your, hey, hey it's built in. <laughs> I can feel it. I'm faster. <laughs> Where I live, yeah, we don't have 5G. So I, even though I have a 5G phone now, I don't get uh, 5G speed. I'm just fine. But they well, are the, the vaccine gave you 5G though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. well, that five. Oh, okay, now I get it. The microchip it, so. might not be working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you may not even get a third shot, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that explains that. Check I just wrote for Bill Gates. Oh, um, all right, Caleb, what's your pick? Yeah, I'll give my pick in just a second. But as far as the vaccine is concerned, we're actually looking forward to some of the same things you are, Sean. Spring break for my son is next week. And my wife and I have both gotten our second shots within the last week and a half. So we're close. And her mom and my mom are going to be spending some time with us next week watching Gideon because they have had their vaccines for months. And we don't have to sit around and uh, all wear masks, right? Because, you know, we're, we're going to be just spending time with each other. So definitely looking forward to that. And right where the, the light is at the end of the tunnel, it's getting closer. Hopefully it's not a train. <laughs> and on that note, my pick is actually uh, the Fitbit Versa 2. Y'all may have noticed, right, that I, I have been wearing it for a couple of months now. You know, on the podcast, will will notice because you can't see it. But and it's it's been really good. I, I've enjoyed it. Right, it tracks your steps. And the thing I've I've enjoyed most about it is actually the sleep tracking. I don't know how necessarily good it is. I mean, of course, I've watched stuff and it seems to be pretty accurate. But um, definitely uh, helps me adjust my schedule so I sleep better. And um, added benefit is we're switching healthcare providers at my company, which is and is not a benefit, but they have an app they call In Motion, um, where it will actually track your your steps through your Fitbit, and based on the number of steps you do a day, they'll give you money back towards your deductible. 
So, hey. Oh, wow. Can you read that? So I've done 30,000 <laughs> steps um, this you, morning. You attach it <laughs> to Wouldn't your that dog. would be awesome? Exactly. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I thought the same thing. Of course, I have a cat, and he doesn't cooperate <laughs> as well as a dog. Would. But, yep. Yeah. So I have a, my Samsung watch also does that sleep tracking, and it always thinks I fall asleep during the day. And I don't <laughs> think I am, but. Is that the same thing about you or the watch? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, well, I would, I, with that sleep, sleep tracking thing, I've also got like um, a sleep watch, but I can't, I can't fall asleep with the watch. It's just too uncomfortable. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually, this one's actually fairly light and um, I mm-hmm. keep it tight on my wrist. And so I, I don't seem to have, have too much trouble with it. I have trouble mm-hmm. falling asleep in general, but not because of the watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my pick. So this week is actually a little bit different to the, to the others. So I kind of have this goal where like, I want to like learn, I want to have like cursory knowledge of like, world history just because I, I don't really know much about world history so i bought a um like a historical atlas they call and it's basically just this massive book and like a hardcover um, with lots and lots of pretty maps about exact pretty much every event in in world history and it's just really nice to be able to just kind of sort through it and go okay well this is what happened in world war ii or this is what happened in the you know the first crusade or whatever and just kind of read about it and it's probably it's probably not enough for me to actually have a comprehensive knowledge about the event but at least it gives me kind of like a map of, what, of exactly what happened kind of thing so for me it's just been really fun just kind of reading through it and, and then doing doing a bit of googling afterwards about what, what happened in that particular event so it's called history of the world by or map to map by this by the smithsonian so oh, i have to check it out yep that seems interesting and uh, my, I actually have two picks. So one of them is the Midnight Diner, which is a show on Netflix. On Netflix, it's a it's an kind of old Japanese show that's about a mid a diner that's only open from twelve a.m. to seven seven a.m. So and it's it's about the stories of the people who visit that diner during the night. And it's about imperfect humans and human emotions and stories. And it's, it's, it's great. And it's not, it, it doesn't have action. It, it's not flashy, but I, I, I found it quite interesting and fun to watch. And the food is great. So don't watch it at night. It makes you hungry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and actually, after every most episodes, uh, you get some quick tutorial on how to make the dish that the the, oh. the chef made in that episode, which is nice. But the, the some of the ingredients, I I believe, are only available in Japan. So, but so is it, uh, is it in yeah, English or is it subtitles? It is in Japanese, but it has subtitles. Oh, weird. And the, yeah, and my second pick is a simple app called Simple expense by my good friend Aza and it's uh, it's a very simple and stripped down app it doesn't ask you to log in it doesn't have many features but that's what I like about it it's very simple and easy to use and it helps you to keep track of your expenses which is nice all right so Mohammed if, if people want to reach out and they have questions or they want you to fix their pipeline broken pipelines for them how can they get in touch? So they can go to m 
A-Z-E-Z.dev, or they can reach out to me on Twitter. Hopefully, you guys can put, put the links because yep. I'm not very good at pronouncing yep. letters yep, we'll do in that. English. Yep. <laughs> when your name is Muhammad, you don't get to choose your username. It's one of the most common names in the world, and <laughs> all the good usernames are taken. So if you can just put the links down in the, in the episode uh, notes, that would be nice. I actually think yours worked out pretty good. Yeah. Your, your abbreviated lucky. name. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, it's better than very lucky. M-A-Z-678, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate numbers. I hate numbers yeah, in, in, in usernames. Yep, agreed. All right, great. Thanks, Mohammed. And if our listeners want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me. I am on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And Caleb Wells is? At Caleb Wells Codes. Awesome. Thanks, Mohammed. For (laughs) Sean, not for me. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Capes good. Yeah, Mohammed was great. (laughs) Thank you very much. Capes are good. Capes are cool. As long as you don't trip on them. (laughs) (laughs) Or get sucked into an airplane. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll yeah, catch you, later. everybody, on the next episode of Adventures in.net. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y.com to learn more.